Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Jesus heals a man with a demon. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering around 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you how um, this passage in all of Scripture shows your strength, um, how it shows that you are in control, um, and that it shows how we are supposed to um, submit to you, and how it shows how we are supposed to glorify you for what you've done. We thank you for just the time to gather here today to learn um, to listen, to worship, to repent, to encourage one another. Pray for Luke as he comes, that you would give him the words to speak, that you would, um, that your spirit would be upon him, that you would speak through him, and that we would have receptive hearts. Um, in your name, amen. Um, today we have a guest speaker, Luke Anderson. He's with Bethlehem Baptist Seminary. Um, so thanks for being here. <laughs> Good morning. <clears throat> well, as we just heard this morning, we look at the story of a man in a situation that seems hopeless. He's one of many hopeless and helpless people that we meet in the Gospels. And soon after this story of this man, uh, one hopeless situation gets interrupted by another one. A synagogue ruler is begging Jesus to come and, and help his daughter who is at the point of death. Come heal her, please. And on the way, we meet another woman who has been suffering from this flow of blood for 12 years and no doctor can cure 
this flow of blood, and she's only getting worse. And while Jesus is speaking with her, some people uh, come from the synagogue ruler's house and, and tell him. And their words just capture the heart of hopelessness. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? It's over. She's gone. There's nothing you can do. It's like that is the heart of hopelessness. There's nothing you can do. Every attempt, every effort has been thwarted. You want things to be different so bad, but you can't actually do anything about it. You're powerless to change things. That is the situation for the man in our story. He is dominated by this host of demons, and he is helplessly bound by their power. There's nothing that he can do, but Jesus comes to him and does for him what no one else could do. He casts out this strong host of demons, and as Yahweh did for Israel, Jesus delivers this man from hands too strong for him. And so Jesus' encounter with this man shows us some truths that we need to see and believe this morning about the very real presence and power of of demons, of demonic power at work among us, and about Jesus' power and authority over that power at work among us. But we need to see both because as Christians, we struggle against demonic power. As Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so in that sense, our experience is something like the man in our story. Now, there are significant differences between a Christian and an unbelieving demon-possessed man, and we will reckon with those differences. But even this man's experience here can help us this morning. Because when you think about it, if you think about your own life as a Christian, we know what it's like to wrestle and struggle against a strong temptation that just won't seem to budge. It's like you pray, we may pray and struggle for years to overcome a bad temper or a spirit of depression or discouragement or worry, or chronic fears, or a lack of self-control, whatever it is, it's that sinful response that just keeps seeming to come out of me. No matter what I do, it's like it just keeps, that's the way I always respond in that situation. And I know it's wrong, and I hate it, and I, I wish it would change, but it's persistent. And it seems too strong. It seems like I've, I've had this for too long. It's too deep. And that can be really discouraging. And even frightening. Because it seems like it's never going to change. And yet we know at some point it should change. At some point we should get victory over that. If, if we are truly in Christ. John says that no one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now it's true that we still sin, but no Christian can rest contented in a long practice of sinning. 
We fight the good fight of faith even when it means long bouts with persistent sin. And I think this morning God has given us great hope for that fight here in what he shows us of the mercy and power and authority of his son in this story. And so if you want to, for a structure this morning, the way we'll look at these things, first we'll look at the power of spiritual evil at work among us, and then we'll look at Jesus' power and authority, and then we'll consider what it means for our lives as Christians and what it would mean for us to live in light of this story of Jesus' mercy and power and authority. But first, we need to get our bearings here. So, so let's, let's take a look at the context here. So just before our passage, uh, Jesus and his disciples are crossing the lake when this fierce storm blows up and just swamps them, just swamps the boat and threatens to drown them. And Jesus was asleep in the boat as this is happening. They wake him up and they say, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus rises up and he rebukes the wind and the wind ceases. And there's this great calm that just washes over everything. And the disciples just dumbfounded look at each other and they say, it's like, what just happened? They, They look at each other and they say, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that's the final note, the end stress of that story. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's the note that's echoing in our ears as our story begins. And so Jesus' incredible power and authority is front and center as our story begins. And our story begins by introducing another formidable power. And it's not the power of nature, but supernature. It's power from beyond the natural world. Power from a realm that we can't see or touch or even begin to understand. And it's an evil power. It's a wicked, murderous power. Jesus has just set foot here on on the shores of Gerasa when this man comes out of the tombs to meet him and Mark pauses the story to give us a better picture of this man and his state. So listen for emphasis as we look at this. Look at, uh, starting in verse three, look at this. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Mark says, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. No one had the strength to subdue him. You hear that? No one, not even, no one. This is an unstoppable force that is among the people. It's too strong. It's dominating them. And Mark wants us to see that no one could match this strength. Not the people, nor this helpless man that they possessed. And you just think about that and you think, okay, this sounds, this sounds really extreme, and it is, truly. 
But consider what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And he says this to Christians. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. So Paul says that we were once following a spirit, a spirit that rebels against God. This spirit was once at work in us to encourage the passions of our flesh, encouraging us to indulge in carrying out whatever we wanted to do, whether it was in lust or in pride or in jealousy or bitterness or selfish ambition. We were following a demonic spirit, heeding the influence of a demonic spirit. And what's more, he says, that's what we did by nature. All of mankind is like that from birth. Demonic influence is the natural course of life for fallen mankind. And so the case of the man in our story may be extreme in degree, but not in kind. And so I think one of the first things that we should see here together this morning is that simply put, demonic power is real. We should believe that the presence and power of, of spiritual evil at work among us is real. Demons are real. And their power and influence among us is very real. And you think, okay, so, so what does this mean for us as, as Christians? Because as I said before, there are differences between a Christian and this man in our story. And this is one of them. This man's experience of demonic power and influence is not the same as the Christian's. For the Christian, we might say, you might sum it up this way, uh, demonic power is among us, but not over us. There are two sides to that coin, and so first, demonic power is not over us. The New Testament is clear about this. It is clear that Christians will not be possessed by demons. What happened to this man does not happen to Christians. Demons will not rule over us. What's, what's your basis for saying that, Luke? Well, here are some scriptures. First uh, John 5.18, John says of the Christian that Jesus protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Paul says to Christians in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. John, again, in 1 John 2.13, says, Christian, you have overcome the evil one. Romans 6.14, Paul says to Christians, sin will have no dominion over you. One more here. Colossians 1.13, Paul says, He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I want to just say, Aaron, thank you for all the wonderful things that we just sang. 
wonderfully true things that exactly what we're talking about here. That is, that is a beautiful thing to think about, the transfer of, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So Christians are not under the rule of darkness. And so Christians shouldn't be afraid of demons. They want you to be afraid of them. They would like to convince you that you should be afraid of them. But we just read this morning how demons fall on their face before Jesus, before our Savior. Jesus rules over them with authority. And so we don't have to be afraid of them. And we shouldn't be. You might say, okay, I know we shouldn't be, but Luke, are you reading the passage that we just read this morning? This is terrifying. It's like, I, I get it. I get that. But I, I think of Peter's words when he's, he says this to Christian wives whom he calls daughters of Sarah, those who follow the example of the holy women of old who hoped in God. He says to them, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I just think that's a, that's a good phrase. Don't fear anything that's frightening. It's saying, yes, it's frightening. Now don't fear it. That's courage. And the saying is true. That courage isn't the absence of fear, but the conquering of it. And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. Through his death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death, Hebrews 2.14. This was a really inspiring read for me. Athanasius, in his treatise on the Incarnation, uh, writes about this freedom from the fear of death that Christian martyrs had in his day. Listen, listen to this. Death is despised by all Christ's disciples and everyone tramples on it and no, no longer fears it. But with the sign of the cross and faith in Christ, tread it underfoot as something dead. Since the Savior's raising the body, no longer is death fearsome, but all believers in Christ tread on it as nothing. For they really know that when they die, they are not destroyed but both live and become incorruptible through the resurrection. As when a tyrant has been defeated by a legitimate king and bound hand and foot, and all those that pass by mock him, hitting him and reviling him, no longer fearing his fury and barbarity because of the victorious king. In this way, death also, having been conquered and placarded by the Savior on the cross and bound hand and foot, all those in Christ who pass by, <clears throat> who pass by death, trample on him. And witnessing to Christ, they mock death, jeering at him and saying what was written above, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That is awesome. That is awesome courage that these Christians had. That was, uh, I think the time of that writing was 373 A.D., the early church, the courage, the boldness of Christians in Athanasius' day is amazing. 
The early church showed us the meaning of the word martyr from the Greek word martis, which means witness or testifier, because they testified by their courage in the face of death that death is defeated. Christ has won. It was a loud and bold proclamation that they made. And so may we know that, that same courage that they had and believe what they believed and trust in God's power to protect us from the evil one. He is faithful and he is able. And what's more, Jesus gives his disciples authority over the demons in his name. You'll remember this from the gospel. He gives it first to the 12 in Matthew 10, then to the 72 in Luke 10, and then beyond to all kinds of disciples in Acts 8 and following. James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. And John says in 1 John 3, 8, this is the sense of what he's saying here, that Christian life, life in Jesus' name is characterized by victory over the powers of the devil. Okay, so now we consider the other side of that coin. Demonic power is, uh, is not over us, but it is among us. Peter tells us to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And like James, he says, resist him, firm in your faith, 1 Peter 5.8. Paul says that we stand against the schemes of the devil and as we said before, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And shockingly, we see in the Gospels, you might remember this in Matthew 16, when, when uh, Peter takes Jesus aside and starts rebuking him because he's talking about how he's going to die. Remember what Jesus says to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. So Jesus' disciples can sometimes act and speak in a way that is in accord with Satan. That's shocking. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And Paul says, that when we dwell on sinful thoughts or temptations, we give an opportunity to the devil. He says in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So our sinful emotions, if indulged in, can give him a foothold. And I was thinking about this. As I say all of this, I realize that that can be a, kind of a hard word and there's a, this pastoral instinct in me that, that wants to say okay but that first one's still true that's still true that, that we are safe safely guarded by God in Christ but I don't want to undo what I just said I know that, that's, that's kind of a hard word to think okay be sober minded be watchful the devil is prowling like a roaring lion that might stir up some things, but I think those are good things. 
Because Jesus often will speak a hard word like that and let it sit because it does good things in us. And it's like, part of me wants to say, okay, yes, but be encouraged. It's like, let it sit. It's doing good things. It's, it may be a hard word. It's not a bad word. It's a hard word. So let, let those hard words do the good work that Jesus intends them to do. And essentially, what I want to say here is that we should just have this as a category in how we think about the Christian life. That will be helpful for us. And I think it's particularly important to remember this as it concerns our struggles with sin. As a friend of mine once helpfully reminded me, uh, not every voice that you hear is your own. And C.S. Lewis' book, uh, Paralandra, any, any C.S. Lewis fans in the house? Anybody? We've got a few, all right. Uh, in his book, Paralandra, which I highly recommend, uh, Lewis' own character in this story, he's, he's walking to his colleague Ransom's house in the dark. It's this dark, deserted town. No one's around, and it's, it's this really important meeting that he's, he's about to have with him. But on his way there, he starts to get distracted in his thoughts and and all these irrational fears and illogical thoughts and impulses come to him and they're coming on really strong. And at one point he says, I found it impossible to think about anything else. And he talks about this powerful reluctance to do the right thing. And when he finally meets up with Ransom, Ransom asks him if he got through the barrage all right. And Lewis looks at him confused and he says, oh, oh that, wait, you, you mean it wasn't just my nerves? There was really something in the way? And Ransom says, yes, yes, they didn't want you to get here. And Lewis starts to explain to Ransom these paranoid thoughts that came to him. And Ransom says, oh, they'll put all sorts of things into your head if you let them. The best plan is to take no notice and keep straight on. Don't try to answer them. They like drawing you into an interminable argument. And you just think about that. It's like when we're experiencing that, we tend to think, okay, this is just me. This is just my nerves. It's, there's something wrong with me. It's just like a chemical imbalance in me. And Ransom says, nope, it's the barrage. So just being aware that the barrage is a real thing can help us overcome it. And the more we hear the words of Jesus and trust and believe them, the more any voice that contradicts him will sound alien and foreign and unwelcome to us. One last thing on this point. If you've never read uh, C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letters, you should. Lewis, uh, in this book, imagines demonic correspondence between two demons as they work on a Christian man. And they're trying to tempt him and draw him into all kinds of sin. And you're, so you're kind of listening in on enemy lines as they talk about tactics and methods, what they want you to do and think and feel, and what they don't want you to do and think and feel. And in that book, Lewis offers us a lot of practical wisdom for standing against the schemes of the devil. All right, so now, now that we've considered the spiritual powers of evil at work among us, we turn to Jesus' power and authority at work among us. And on this point, not, 
We're not going to be so application heavy on this point. I was thinking about something that Pastor John had taught me about our Bible reading. Uh, not, not always feeling like we need to jot down s- like a list of application things that I need to do, but just seeing things about Jesus, seeing true things about Jesus to savor and, and to worship him because he says so much of our life, so much of our actions and our choices don't come out of, okay, let me remember this principle. Okay, now I'm gonna do this thing. It doesn't work that way. It's just, it's, it's almost subconscious, instantaneous act. And he says, it, that comes out of a heart. And, and as we see and behold Jesus in all his glory, that heart is being shaped to just be ready to do those things that it needs to do. And so we're just gonna behold awesome things about Jesus in this passage. So notice first the setting of our story. We're in the country of the Gerasenes, it tells us in verse one, on the shores of Gerasa, which is one of the 10 towns of the Decapolis. You might have seen that. Uh, Deca is 10, Polis, city, 10 cities. Uh, 10 cities that formed a league for trade and defense against Semitic tribes, which means this is Gentile country that we're in. And so people in this region are generally not looking for the kingdom. They're not looking for the Messiah here. They're just going about their business as unbelievers do. When I think about that, I'm, I'm reminded of Paul's words again to the Ephesians, when he tells them to remember what it meant to be a Gentile. He says to them in Ephesians 2.12, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what it is to be an unbelieving Gentile, having no hope and without God in the world. And that was was you and that was me when God brought to us the good news of his son. And that's the Gerasenes, that's the man in our story who had no idea the world of blessing that was about to meet him on the shore. He wasn't looking for Jesus, Jesus came to him This man was just absolutely lost and helpless and Jesus was not called for, not sought. He just came to him. And so see that and hope in that the next time you're so discouraged that you can't hope, remember how this hopeless man was surprised by grace. Grace unbeckoned, unsought. Jesus just came to him. That's the way of our Savior. It's the pattern of our redemption in him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So see that and hope in him. I don't know if you listen to them, but there's a band called uh, City Alight. They have some great, some great songs. Okay, yeah. Uh, they have a song called Jesus Strong and Kind that really just caps- captures this really well. In the last verse is, Jesus said, if I am lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on the cross, he will come to me. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. 
we can always run to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. It's just, it's amazing to me that we see Jesus' kindness and mercy in the same story that shows us his terrifying power and authority. As Edwards says, what seem to us utterly incompatible virtues are wonderfully combined in Christ's diverse excellencies. I love Edwards. Read Edwards. Edwards is so good. He is both fiercely powerful and warm in kindness, strong and kind. And and Jesus not only takes the initiative in coming here, he's the one who provokes this reaction from the demon-possessed man that we see in verse seven. In verse seven, it seems like it's the other way around. It seems like the demon-possessed man makes the first move here. I'm sorry, this is in verse six. Look at verse six. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. But in the next verse, we learn that these events come to us on the page out of the order in in which they actually happened. Because verse 8 gives us the reason the demon was saying and doing these things. Look at verse 8. For he, Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so it seems as soon as the man comes into sight, Jesus is commanding him from afar. And, and he was saying, which implies that he had told the demon more than once to come out, to come out of the man. It's obvious to Jesus that this demon-possessed man is out of his mind as soon as he sees him. And Luke adds to this account of this man Uh, he adds to what we know of him that he was also naked during all of this. Uh, Which Mark also seems to confirm and may be alluding to at the end of verse 15 when he says that once this man is delivered from the demons, he says that he sits clothed and in his right mind, which might imply that he wasn't before. But when I, th- I th- when I think about Jesus just coming at this man, it makes me think of uh, Romans 12. Some of these marks of the Christian, Paul says to us, don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. And I think, that's Jesus. Jesus is zealous here. He is not scared of this man that terrified everyone else around him. He comes at him commanding the demons to let him go. It's like an echo of, of Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. As a friend of mine once said, Jesus will one day say to death itself, let my people go. And we will r- be raised with him to endless life because all authority in heaven and on earth belong to Jesus. Notice the terror of the demons before Jesus. Verse six they fell down before him. Verse seven, they said to Jesus, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Verse 10, they begged him earnestly. Again, in verse 12, they begged him. There is no question about who has the true power and authority here. Look at verse 13. He, Jesus, gave them permission 
gave them permission to go <laughs> into the pigs. You may go now. They won't even enter the pigs without his permission to do so. And at his word, they go. And they go into the pigs and into the depths, and the man is free. And he sits next to Jesus, and he sits clothed and in his right mind. And as the people of the town come to see what had happened, when they see Jesus and the demon-possessed man sitting now clothed and in his right mind, verse 15, they were afraid. You think it would have taken terrifying strength to overcome the legion. And the one who did that was still standing right in front of them. And so they begged Jesus to leave. And the man begs to go with him, but Jesus sends the man back home to tell all his friends how much the Lord had done for him and how he had mercy on him. And he tells the whole town how much Jesus had done for him. So remembering this story and, and for us living in light of it should change the way that we face our struggles with sin. No matter how discouraged we may be, we should say with Micah, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. And the psalm that Aaron had us read together made me think of uh, a psalm that I love, uh, Psalm 3. And for some reason I have it like the King James I think, it, I think it's, this is the way it is in the King James, that many are they increased who trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So as we think about this story, of Jesus deliver, delivered this unbelieving Gentile man who was completely dominated by demons, how much more his disciples who actively wrestle by the power of his spirit against the forces of spiritual evil in the heavenly places. Jesus already did the harder thing here on the shores of Gerasa and the hardest thing on the hill of Golgotha how will he not also deliver his people from the power of besetting sins and deceptions of the devil and tempta temptations of all kinds? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. As we said before, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And I love these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians, and I'll close with this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for these words. Thank you for this story of your son and this revelation of his power 
and his mercy and his goodness. Father, I pray that you would help us to live in light of this and to hope in light of this as we struggle with sin in our lives. I pray that that we would remember the victory that is ours in Christ, that we are more than conquerors in him. I pray that you would help us and give us strength. Be our strength. Be the lifter of our heads. You are our strength and our shield and our glory. And we give you praise in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.